TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Episode 46. For over 25 years, Saris has been designing and manufacturing bicycle parking and infrastructure products to help cities, neighborhoods, and businesses and schools become more bike friendly. Recently, Saris provided the racks for a protected bicycle parking structure along the Burke Gillum Trail in Seattle, Washington. Situated on the University of Washington campus at the UW Husky Stadium Sound Transit Link Light Rail Station, the installation features Saris' two-tiered lift-assist rack, the stacked rack, and highlights Saris's local manufacturing and sourcing by qualifying for the U.S. Department of Transportation's Buy America program. To stay up to date on what Saris is doing for bike parking and infrastructure, visit sarisparking.com slash Bike nerds. Again, that's sarasparking.com slash bike nerds. And Kyle, yes. we've got big news. What is the big news? Thanks to our sponsor at Sarah's Cycling Group, we are able to announce the winners of the Sarah's Six Pack Bike Carriers. Oh, awesome. Are you included so, in this list? I am not included in this list, but Sarah's is fantastic, and I have received my bike carrier, and I have used it for cans of wine and miniature bottles of Prosecco. Let's talk more about that in a minute, but let's name the winners first. Awesome. So, congratulations to the winners of the Sarah's six-pack bike carriers, Chris of Chattanooga, Tennessee, Kevin of Memphis, Tennessee, Carly of Austin, Texas, Doug of Memphis, Tennessee, EJ of Portland, Oregon, Brian of Fort Collins, Colorado, Anna of Washington, D.C., David of Kenwick, Washington, Renee of Columbia, Missouri, and Bob of Oregon, Wisconsin. Thank you again to Sarah. Sarah's. Oregon, Wisconsin. That's what it says. I like that. I like that as well. There's a couple, There's definitely a couple of Memphises in there. There is indeed, but I'm really impressed with the diversity in locations. Like someone yeah. in Kenwick, Washington is listening to the podcast. Yeah. That's amazing. Shout out to David. Thanks, David. <laughs> um, you know what? I think we should uh, try to get some photos of these folks uh, with their bike carriers like in action. Yes. Um, maybe we'll do like hashtag – we'll do a hashtag bike nerd six pack. And and have uh, all of our winners post a photo on Twitter or Facebook using the hashtag Bike Nerds Six Pack, and uh, if we do if we get some photos in, we'll we'll retweet them and share them on social media yeah. as well. And why not do hashtag Saris because they're our awesome sponsor as well. We will indeed. So congratulations, to everyone. I've received mine. I know yeah. another person in Memphis who's received theirs, so I feel confident that everyone either has theirs or it's being, you know, 
transported around the country. Yeah. So tell me about getting yours. What was the experience like opening the box? And then how how easy was it to actually install and use on your bike? It was very easy to install on my bike, which means a lot because I can install nothing on my bike. My bike um, like ringer bell is your installed bike wrong. My bike, my bike bell is <laughs> the installed bike wrong. So I yeah, the bike ringer. So I have to like awkwardly ring the bell in a very awkward way because it's on backwards. And that was not the case. <laughs> the six pack bike carrier. I was able to get it on um, and ride around to a friend's house, stocked up with wine, and it worked like a charm. So does, does, but it was does, so does, exciting to get mail, first of all. Yeah. And I'm a huge nerd, which is why I'm on a podcast called The Bike Nerds. And I cut out the PO that said, wine, like carrying <laughs> device, and it now sits on my fridge. Um, so tell me about how it, how does it attach to your bike? Does it just sit on the handlebars or does it like Velcro or snap? It's Velcro. Velcro. Yes. That feels very space age. Yes. Very high tech Velcro, probably the highest of innovation in Velcro. Wow. The highest hook, hook, hook count. What was really cool and surprising that I didn't realize is they're insulated. Really? So it keeps your drinks cold as well. Whoa, would it keep things hot? I feel like it would be worth testing that. Yeah, maybe not too hot, though. How would you heat a can? <laughs> I don't know if heating a can, but, like, I guess you could keep, like, mini thermoses of hot chocolate. <laughs> like, min- like, really mini thermoses, right? Yeah, but then I guess the thermos is insulating on its own. That's kind of what it's made for. You know how you can heat a can in Memphis, right? Is you just put a can in the dashboard of your car? And uh, then come back a couple hours later. It'll be yeah. heat- it'll be heated. I mean, well, that's how I fry all my eggs in the summer in Memphis. It's just yeah. on the hood of my car. <laughs> just every morning. Um, hey, so what color is your carrier? Is it, is, it, is it like the one from the photo? Is it blue? No, it's black. Black. Ooh. It's like a little black dress, but a bike carrier. Man, this sounds awesome. I should have gotten one. <laughs> you should have really tried to break the rules and for, talk about it a lot. For, so all, the, was- for all the six packs of... <laughs> beer that I'm consuming on my bicycle. You know, ginger ale fits there as well. Yeah, Look away, I'm sure would be <laughs> would be nice. <laughs> oh man. Uh well I'm glad you're enjoying that. And and you've only had it like a couple days, so you and you've already like broken it in. Oh my gosh. I'm totally the type of person that if they like buy something new or gifted something, I'm like changing in the bathroom at work to like make sure I've got like the new thing on. Awesome. No time to waste. Awesome. So what's going on in your world? Ooh, you know, uh, we announced the big jump cities this yes. past week, right? So we we made you know people for bikes where I'm working. It's going to be working in ten different cities over Wait, the next three years. You work for people for bikes. I do work for people for bikes. Wow, we've been through this. <laughs> it's why you don't see me around much anymore. Oh wow, that's good to know. Mo- it's all falling into place. I moved. I don't know if you remember that, but um, it's. Which is weird, right? Because you and I talk every single week. <laughs> and so it's not like we're like totally disconnected like I am with other people um, yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, but yeah, I do work for people for bikes. I was a joke. I was a joke. Uh, I Hopefully our listeners will find it as funny as I do. Yeah. Um, and so I'm managing this program where, where we're working in 10 cities across the U.S. over the next three years in specific neighborhoods and trying to help them double or triple bike use in those neighborhoods over the three-year period. And so we did a competitive application process. We had 80 applications from across the country, and we had the unenvious task of selecting 10 out of 80 really great applications. And we announced those 10 this past week. 
How fantastic. Was it really exciting? Because you've been working on this for a while with, with, with your team to be able to share with the world the cities that have been selected. Yeah, I mean, also a bit stressful. I mean, there there were a lot of, a lot of really, really great cities uh, and cities where we have really good friends, both, you know, friends of the podcast and, and friends outside of the podcast uh, that, that didn't make it in. And so it, both exciting yeah. and a bit stressful, right? You know, it's just, it's hard to, you know, cap. If, if funding was unlimited and uh, there was, you know, we just had sort of some large benefactor and allow us to double or triple bicycling in every city we would. Um, but we had a cap at 10 and, uh, you know, when, when you sort of set a line somewhere, some people make it across the line and so there's some don't. So it's exciting and, re, you know, a bit of a relief to sort of be able to talk more publicly about, you know, who's in and who's out. Um, but also, you know, also a lot of phone calls the last week. I, I told somebody that it's kind of like I, I did, I called a bunch of cities and sort of, you know, explain to them, you know, we walked through their application and explain to them why, why they weren't selected. And I told somebody this week, it's kind of like breaking up with your girlfriend yes. um, over and over and over again. Cause I was, I'm, I've been doing, I don't know, two or three calls a day for the last week and a half um, about that. And it's, it, it's, it's like this line. It's like, it's not you, it's me um, yep. over and over and over and over again. So who, you know, not, I never had that experience in real life. But as someone who has applied for grants and, you know, not gotten every grant I've applied for, I do appreciate when foundations and organizations do call because it is really helpful to know, you know, why you weren't selected and how in the future you can, you know, write a grant differently or participate differently. And I, I think that's great that y'all took the time to, to reach out to, to cities to, to share that information with them. Because the worst is just getting like a letter in the mail that's like... You spent a lot of time on this and we're really excited, but sorry. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to be working in Portland, Oregon, Los Angeles, California, Tucson, Arizona, Fort Collins, Colorado, Austin, Texas, New Orleans, Louisiana, Baltimore, Maryland, New York City, Providence, Rhode Island, and Memphis, Tennessee. Yes. I'm so excited to kind of look at the next few years about how this changes those neighborhoods. I love the concept that it really is hyper-focused on neighborhoods. Um, and I can't wait to hear about all the other grant awardees. Yeah. And, and just for your knowledge, half of the cities today currently have bike share already launched. Oh, the, cool. The other half are planning to launch bike share during the next couple of years. Um, so there's not just, you know, thinking about the ways in which, you know, we can support the growth of bicycling, but they also, all these cities and all these neighborhoods have a lot of momentum already and bike share is a part of that momentum. So I think that'll be pretty interesting for you as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. That'll be great to see other cities using bike share as, as a tool for transportation, other aspects and in, in those neighborhoods. I'm going to learn so much. I hope so. I certainly hope so. Um, and we're actually, we're actually for the Memphis neighborhood working in South Memphis, which, you know, I just think can't the, shake it. You as, just can't shake as, as I was, as I was like editing last week's episode, right. And we were talking to Zara and I, uh, once again on the podcast shared the story of, you know, spending so much time working in South Memphis and, you know, the, the way sort of to reinforce the point that authentic community engagement takes a long time and, it, and you can't set a limit on how that, actually take shape and 
you know, I've told that story over and over and over again on the on the podcast. Sometimes it feels a little repetitious, and then and then it's like, oh, we're going to be working in South Memphis, the neighborhood where <laughs> Kyle. So I feel like it's going to be on my mind even more now. But hopefully, we'll have some new some new some new content about working in South yes. Memphis going forward. Absolutely. I don't. No, nobody's written an email and said, Kyle, please stop sharing that story, but. Um, I feel like I've edited it like 20 times in the last year. Um, <laughs> well, it'll be a new story now. An evolution of the story. Yeah, I'm super excited to be working with Roshan again uh, and the whole team down there um, in South Memphis and in Memphis in general. So super exciting. The other neighborhoods across the country are really exciting. We're going to be releasing you know, some information and stories about the specific neighborhoods in the next couple of weeks. And so we'll get to learn more about, you know, the neighborhoods that we're actually working in, in these cities, because you might think of like Portland, Oregon is like this really great bicycling city. You know, what, why do they need help, you know, doubling or tripling bicycle use and the neighborhood we're working in Portland might be the least Portland like neighborhood mm-hmm. in, that's sort of in your mind. And so I'm really, you know, more to the point than just the cities that were selected, these neighborhoods are really unique places. Uh, and that, that's, that's the more exciting piece is that we get to really dive in and, you know, be a little bit closer to the ground with a lot of this work. Fantastic. I think we're also hoping to have some of those cities on the podcast um, to talk about local advocacy in the, in the big jump neighborhoods. Yeah, I think it'd be really great. And uh, we'll see how all the scheduling works out. So this week on the podcast, we have Fernando Martinez, uh, from the southeastern corner in tip of Texas, the Brownsville region. And we talked with Fernando uh, late last week. And I have to say that I really – I wish we would have talked to him at the beginning of the week because I, I think I probably would have had a more positive outlook um, on the entire week. I absolutely agree. I have been using – Fernando and the story of Brownsville, Texas, as well as kind of their sister city across the border in Mexico this weekend, you know, when there are some kind of darker conversations about what's going on in the world, about Mm -hmm. this example of this place that I didn't even know existed, that's using bike advocacy to help transform a city in a variety of ways. It really was inspirational. I mean, mean, we went went through this conversation, right? And Fernando's talking about a variety of things from the practical and, and right at the end of the episode, our listeners are going to, he just hits us with this philosophy, this philosophical point that I, I went to work and I told every single person yeah. in, in my workplace, <laughs> yeah. this story that he, that he sort of shared. And, you know, I, th- I think this episode has a little bit of everything, right? It's sort of like, you know, the nuts and bolts of what, how they're doing, you know, great bike advocacy down at, down in Texas. And then sort of this life, uh, this life view that cycling has sort of brought to Fernando's existence that I just was like blown away by. Um, and I think, you know, we, if we had the opportunity, we probably could have talked to him for another couple of hours. Um, and I, I think I, the biggest thing that I take away is I want to figure out how to get to Brownsville. Me too. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure an excuse to go to Brownsville for something, uh, just so I can be there and see, you know, the work that's happening there by Fernando and the other advocates. Well, it's a 13-hour drive from Memphis, Woo. just as just like a point for us to keep in mind. Yeah, Texas is big. Actually, the flights aren't terribly unreasonable. <laughs> he said he said Austin was like another five hours um, from where Brownsville is. So, you know, it's basically driving to Austin and then, <laughs> then you just like keep going. Then just keep going. Um, well, shall we shall – we- let our listeners experience the fantasticness of Fernando Martinez in Brownsville, Texas. Yeah, let's do it. 
Fernando, how's it going today? Good, good. Um, we had um, uh, one of the coolest days uh, the whole winter. We're uh, at 50 degrees right now. Oh, my oh, goodness. 50 on. degrees. The coolest For, day. <laughs> yes. Could you believe that? It's like um, here. Do the, people uh, like know? bring out their like hats yes. and gloves and like yes, and really and big jackets? Yeah. Yes. And then, you know what? It's funny because uh, outside the school, but inside they had the AC on, and it's uh, you know, it's very cold there, and they still wear all these long sleeves and everything inside the office. So I'm like, you know, it's warmer outside. <laughs> I just, uh, I just, I literally just walked in the door um, from biking with my son to school, and it's like 18 degrees outside. And yeah, I know. And when we drop off Ethan at school in the morning, we drop him off on the playground because the kids get to play before school starts officially. But but the rule here is that if it's like below 15 degrees, then 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 that's too cold to play on the playground. (laughs) Like you have to take take him inside if it's 15 or below. But anything above above 15 is like fair game to be outside. Yeah, no, here is like if you go like 40, they don't allow you to go outside. <laughs> it's just, it's, 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 you know, we're 22, 22 miles uh, from the beach. Yeah. So it gets to 115 degrees here in summer. It's really hot. Ah, uh, yeah. That is very hot. I don't envy you there. So but it's, it's like a dry uh, heat though, right? Uh, it's no, actually, it's uh, very um, humid because oh, we're gosh. next to the beach. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, so so I'm guessing uh, I, I was seeing advertisements this week for the Winter Cycling Congress that's taking place in Canada in a couple of weeks. Uh, so I'm ge- so I'm guessing Fernando that the Winter Cycling Congress is not uh, on your radar of <laughs> must must see events. And actually, uh, you know, uh, um, I I know the the guys from Canada that are running it, so I'm like, okay, I want to go there because I miss the winter. I used to live in DC for about nine years. Oh, so it's uh, you know it's cold, and even uh, when I moved to Texas, I live in Amarillo, Texas, which is the farthest north city, uh, the largest city on north uh, on the Panhandle, mm-hmm. and you can get minus fifteen, minus twenty degrees there, and you're still in Texas. Wow! So you get about a couple feet of uh, snow, yeah. uh, and it's a long winter, November through May. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know it's kind of like being up north. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the panhandle has like uh, it's a little bit higher in elevation too, correct? No, actually, it's just flat. Is it really it's completely flat? Yes, it's flat. But what happens is that the uh, the um, uh, wind stream, the jet stream that comes from Canada, mm-hmm. comes through it and then turns back. So oh. that's why um, the Oklahoma and Texas panhandle are the uh, what's called the um, tornado alley because oh. that's where the warm warm uh, you know, the warm wind and the the warm and the cold wind gets together and then created the tornadoes. So, are you are you you're working in Brownsville, Texas? Is that correct? Yes, so Brownsville and Harlingen, Harlingen, two cities. Can you give us a little sense of the community down there? I'm not I'm not super familiar with it, and I'm not sure that many of our listeners are either. Yeah, that's that's great. It's like um, first question that I before I came here is like, where is Brownsville? I've been you know, traveling all over Texas, but I didn't know where Brownsville is. Yeah, Brownsville is on the border by the sea. Uh, it's basically on the Mexican border, right next to the um, to the wall, 
the new wall. Oh, the wall. And uh, yes, <laughs> and uh, it, it goes to the Gulf. So it's the Gulf and the wall, right there. That's where we are at. And um, <clears throat> it's ninety-two percent of the uh, population here is Hispanic uh, mm-hmm. Mexicans, mm-hmm. and uh, um, that's basically where, where you see the mix. Uh, if you go a little more north, like twenty-two miles to sixty miles, you see a mix of people. But here. It's like you're in Mexico on this side of the world. Is there a is there a Mexican city on the other side that is yes. sort of a complement? Yes, it's actually it's called Matamoros, okay. which is a very large city. It's the largest city in the whole valley, including the Mexican Valley. Mm. It's about seven hundred thousand people. Uh, Brownsville is the largest city in um, in the valley, with about one hundred eighty to two hundred thousand, including the people that that uh, commutes from Mexico every day. Yeah, and so the two, the two, the two cities are close. I mean, they're separated by a wall, and it's sort of a you know a fictitious border. Is there is there a river separating them as well? Yeah, there's a river. That this is where the river starts. Uh, so there's a river and there's a wall. A lot of people think that the wall is on, like, say, in the middle between yeah. Mexico and the U.S., but it's not. It's it's on the U.S. side. Oh. So a lot of people that come here, they say, oh, okay, let me, you know, they take pictures and say, oh, one foot in the Mexican side, one foot in the U.S. <laughs> that's not true. You're still in the U.S. <laughs> and, and I but would that's ass- how people believe. And, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but the I would assume that the economies, the social networks sort of permeate between the border sort of the natural, I mean, families, w- employees, associates, I, I would assume that the two are closely intertwined yes correct um a lot of people from brownsville they are from mexico but they live in brownsville mm-hmm. and they commute to work into matamoros so they commute into mexico every day yeah people from matamoros work in brownsville they commute every day so there's a mix you know the interaction between the two cities and um <clears throat> you see if like say if you bike into matamoros mm-hmm. it will take you Five minutes, you just go across the bridge. Wow. Okay. And you get into downtown Matamoros, it may take you 10 minutes by bike. On a bike? Wow. On a, on a bike, yes. So it's very close. Uh, so from downtown Brownsville to downtown Matamoros, um, it takes you about 10 minutes. What does the then, bike culture look like in Brownsville? I'd say it's, it's growing very fast. Uh, we've been working here since 2012 with the Ciclovias, and it kicked in. Um, and then um, a lot of people are biking. Uh, on the Mexican side, is kind of like a, a bike town. A lot of people bike, and they even have their business on, on, on tricycles. Hmm. So you see a lot of people moving because one thing that you need to understand is that um, the Brownsville area is the poorest area of the whole United States. We are very um, separated from other cities around um you know, major cities from Texas, like, say, Austin is five hours, San Antonio is four hours, Corpus Christi, three hours, Laredo is four hours. Mm. So they are very, uh, you know, separate, and there's nothing in between. It's just, uh, you know, small cities and small towns, but a lot of desert. Yeah. And um, But if you go down south to, to the Mexican side, you have Matamoros, which is 700,000 people. You have Reynosa, which is, you know, uh, another big city. You have Monterrey which is uh, one of the largest in Mexico, two and a half hours, three hours away. So uh, it's closer, the Mexican cities, to the Texas cities. So you, you see a lot of people coming from Mexico into this area. Uh, we're in about an hour from McAllen, 65 miles 
mm-hmm. from McAllen, which is a well-known city, but it's a smaller city than Brunswick. Wow. Wow. What is, so let's, if I can ask a couple more questions about sort of the bike commuting between Matamoros and Brownsville, um, because I, because I saw some posts on your Facebook, um, in recent, in recent months about some issues that were cropping up around bicycle commuting, like which, which, which was the correct pathway to use to cross the border. I've been, I've been communicating with some people in El, El Paso because El Paso is launching bike share sort of that, that will, that will be used on both sides of the border, which is a really interesting concept. But what, how does that, how does the culture of sort of bicycling, um, sort of how, how, did, how did it, how did it grow and, and how did it become sort of a, a, a form of transportation that's valued by the people there? Okay. Um, you know, when I moved here, I, I asked a lot of people like, okay, kind of uh, do a research about how many, many people bike or where were the uh, infrastructure to ride a bicycle. A lot of people say, oh, there's none. A lot of people say, oh, nobody rides here because it's too dangerous, too hot, it's too windy. Um, so that was the thinking of the people here. But then as soon as I started riding more and more and more, then I noticed that a lot of people are riding bicycles to commute from Matamoros into Franco. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as you cross the border, there is a trail that is an eight-mile trail. Basically, it's the spine of Brownsville for bicycling. Yeah. So it goes uh, from the downtown all the way north to eight miles, and it crosses the whole city. So um, by six o'clock or before six o'clock in the morning, you see a lot of people riding their bicycles from Matamoros into Brownsville. And then they take that trail because it's the safest place for for people. Mm-hmm. But then you, this, this is people that you see that don't have lights, don't have helmets, they don't have spandex. They're basically people on bikes that yeah. they are transporting themselves because one is the fastest way to get across the border and it's the cheapest way. And it's, it's, it's really fast to get around because uh, to wait for a bus, it may take you an hour to, to wait for a bus in, in a in station or at a stop. So um, biking, uh, we say here that Brownsville, everything is 10 minutes away. So that's how the, <laughs> how big this is. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's basically, the, the uh, uh, I would say it's kind of like the uh, Copenhagen city of Texas. Yeah. <laughs> it's all cities, but a lot of people just ride, riding uh, their bikes. And then there are clubs that get together. Um, and actually, they, they're they different clubs, and they start promoting biking. Mm. And, um, I, you know, I used to work with Bike Texas for 10 years. Yep. So one of, we got a contract to help Brownsville to um, activate the trails, to activate their facilities, to help them with the planning. Um, they have a, a bike master plan, so we help them to uh, promote it, to um, bring the infrastructure for, 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 for people to ride bikes and uh, to connect uh, different areas. And uh, with that, it's like we had to help them uh, encouraging people to ride more, uh, not just as a recreation, if not as a transportation and for health. Mm-hmm. Um, another uh, issue that we have here is that um, <clears throat> we're number four in the United States on obesity and diabetes um, on, uh, on the people in this area. Mm. Um, McAllen and Edinburgh, uh, it's McAllen Mission at number one, which is 60 miles away. Matamoros, according to the numbers that they gave me, it's number one in Mexico. Wow. So we have this epidemic problem that if we don't do anything about activating people, then it becomes a 
a big, you know, a big problem. Yeah. And um, so Brownsville took that off and said, "Hey, let's let's move. Let's let's do something for people." Um, then um, they start moving. That's when they brought the Ciclovia. Um, Brownsville has more Ciclovias than any other city in Texas. They have six a, a year. Wow. Oh wow! So how long has there been six a year in Brownsville? Um, it's already been uh, two years. So I believe this is the third year. And what kind of attendance attend? attends these um, well it's you know uh right now it's kind of mixed because uh we have it more uh, uh often so you may see four to six to ten thousand people okay but um when we first started like say in 2012 uh we had a cyclopia that it was uh, um, a night it was on a friday night um and it was from seven to eleven mm. and then at the end of the at the end of the um the event, people had to be present to win a bicycle, so there was a raffle. <laughs> okay, there is a picture that maybe about I would say about you know 1,500 people were waiting at 12 a.m. at downtown area <laughs> for, to win a bike. A bike. So one of the problems that we had here in Brownsville back then is that downtown it was dead after 5 p.m. or on the weekends. So, uh, Dr. Gao, and she's our city commissioner, mm-hmm. um, the Brown City Commission, and she um, requests a project to happen in downtown. So she brought the cyclopia, and um, and with that, we brought people um, all ages into downtown. So we were connected to different businesses, uh, the, the the university, the border, um, the downtown area, the historic places museums, you know, uh, the trails, and people were really engaged. And as soon as they, the first uh, Ciclovia was okay, but the second Ciclovia was ahead. Then by Texas start bringing bicycles to rent them for free. Mm. So basically they bring the bicycles, about 80 to 90 bikes, and uh, we had a stand. People come, they leave a credit card and a driver license, and they take as many bikes as needed for the family. Okay, yeah. so then people take them, and um, something that we notice is that the, the, most of the kids in Brownsville have bicycles because they get it from one place or mm-hmm. they get on a raffle mm-hmm. or somebody give them to them. Okay, but the parents they don't they, they can afford a bike, so by bringing these adult bikes from Bike Texas, it was helping the community to to kind of connect parents and kids to ride a bicycle and then to go to places. They found out that it was a great uh, project. We had about 250 people waiting over three hours for a bike. Wow. We have, uh, we have pictures of long lines for people, and we say, hey, you can go, you know, we give you a ticket and come back for the bike. No, they all stay. They say, if I move, I lose my bike. So they stay there. <laughs> wow. And that was three hours before we started Ciclovia. So um, it was just, like I said, uh, it was a hit, and, and then uh, everybody started understanding the purpose of it. They thought that Ciclovia was more like a, a cycling event, which is not. It's basically connecting people, activating people, and then to invite uh, businesses and all that, uh, they could uh, you know, uh, represent their business, but with an activation of uh, a, any kind of exercise. They had to have an activation mm-hmm. for the kids to, they were not really allowed just to give papers or whatever, so it's like, bring an activation, um, you know, soccer, running, or whatever, and then um, you have a, a stand or a space for, for your business. And it worked. So, I mean, it sounds like there's 
demand right for bicycling in the in the area both both proven by by the numbers that you see sort of commuting you know across the border and through town through the activity of the bike clubs and then more so by this right this description you you know this this three hour long line just to get a bike yes. to participate but what so what's 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 the what's the barrier that's that's actually preventing you know brownsville from becoming the copenhagen of texas it's um, um, maybe the the heat is uh, you know it's one um, problem. Uh, yeah. But people when when you don't have any other mode of transportation, um, then um, you you just have to ride your bike. You don't have you don't think about it. Mm-hmm. So you ride. But when you have a when you have choices like say you have transportation or you want to drive your bike or, or, or you you want to drive your car or you want to ride your bike. Then you choose which way you want to go, which you know, and then the other thing too is that we have uh, rain uh, storms here. Oh. Um, then there there are places that they're not really yet connected through bicycling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's those are the barriers. The the city of Brownsville is doing so much work. In two years, they've uh, striped sixty five miles of bike lanes. Right now, they're on over a hundred miles. Wow. They um, they had. Um, they have the eight mile trail. They, you know, with the, with funding that we found uh, with the um, the MPO and you know federal funding, mm-hmm. there is a, a, another trail that is under construction right now. It's another eight mile trail that is connecting two trails um, into uh, the what is called the spine to go into the uh, poorest area of Brownsville. Mm-hmm. And there is another mile trail that just got constructed about two years, three years ago. So it's it's coming you know it's coming along good, but it's going to take time. Yeah, and I, I think I saw on your Facebook too that you just got the first protected bike lane in Brownsville. Yes, actually, uh, we got one, and now we have three. Whoa, so, that was fast. <laughs> yeah, it was fast. How are um, residents responding a, to the protected bike lanes? Oh, yeah, they are using it. Uh, even runners are using it. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had an event um, last uh, Sunday. Where we had maybe about a thousand runners, and they all ran through the uh, through that facility. So they're using it, and they feel safer just by um, you know there is no sidewalk in that area, so people use it for as a sidewalk. Yeah, and um, yeah. and it's one of the busiest street that comes uh, into downtown, which is Sixth Street. So the, basically, the idea was to connect two trails because they were not connected. So with this facility, um, it got connected. And then to come back, because the trails are uh, bidirectional uh, trails, you know, bidirectional uh, areas for biking, Mm -hmm. 6th Street was one way only. So they had to go over 7th Street to bring it back. So that's where the connection started with two different, uh, two other other, other streets, which is is, uh, Jackson and 7th to come back to the trail. So um, it was very neat because, you know, when... When we start working and talking about um, protected bike lanes in this area, they they like no, you know, uh, we can stripe and all that, but not 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 separated. They did it now, and then now they believe in it. Um, uh, we have um, uh, you know the users, and then part of uh, by Texas uh, work was to promote that um, uh, to activate those those areas. So me by riding my bike and taking selfies and inviting people and um, and, you know, and uh, getting to know these areas, then we can promote them uh, through Facebook or or website. Um, Fernando, I'm interested kind of 
in, in your community, what is a, a really the most kind of successful mode of communication to residents or to people interested in, in your activities? Is it social media? Is it word of mouth? Are you doing community meetings as well? Kind of what are you doing to help spread the word about, about these pieces? Okay, uh, social media, Facebook, uh, mm -hmm. Twitter, uh, uh, you know, it's it's amazing. There is the poorest city of uh, the poorest area of the United States, but everybody has a, a cell phone. Okay. So they are on social media. So uh, the other, it's um, uh, the city provides uh, meetings, uh, you know, uh, town hall meetings or um, uh, open houses for the public to kind of uh, promote what they're doing, how they're, they're how, you know, how things are happening. And uh, then uh, the other meetings to, like, say, you know, MPO or city meetings, they're open to the public. Uh, we have the, um, what is called the BPAC, the Brown, uh, the um, Brownsville Bicycle Pedestrian uh, Advisory Committee. Um, we have that, so the meetings are open for people to come and join the meeting. Um, Parks and Rec, they have meetings too, so they... It, you know, all these departments uh, and uh, advocates, uh, clubs, um, they all use social media to connect. And, and word of mouth, too. Yeah, it, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to somebody who's like an expert in, you know, we, we used to hear sort of about the digital divide, you know, the, the, the separation between people who had access to the Internet and to cellular services I, and I, I wonder to what degree, you know, just we we have moved, you know, a, a bit past that. You know, have have we has that gap, you know, that, that we can rely more on communication through things like cell phones and cell phone apps and social media. Um, it'd be curious. I'd be curious to know sort of what the actual numbers are behind that. No, oh, um, I don't. I won't have the numbers, but uh, yeah. It's, it's it's huge. It's uh, you know I, I can give you numbers of writers or, or you know, <laughs> things like that, but yeah. now now about the uh, yeah the yeah other area, it's, it's no I, yeah but but I you know I just ten year, ten years ago we we were there were legitimate concerns right that if your community outreach strategies fully solely focused on communicating to people through social media or the ability for people to access an, an app to get information there was a, there was a strong argument and and for for good reasons that, you know, people experiencing poverty may not have access to those kinds of tools and, and those kinds of services. And so you had to sort of really diversify your portfolio of communication methods. But I wonder, you know, as we, as we continue to sort of move on in society, as cellular technologies get cheaper and access becomes more universal, I want, I just wonder to what degree we've actually are, are moving, moving in, in a different direction and whether or not those, you know, those old school methods of communicating uh, go away. I mean, do you still do you still employ, you know, sort of the mailings or door to door knockings or, you know, setting up at a community event? Do, do you still do those in, in in collaboration with your social media work? Yes, yes, we do. Um, actually, we have to set up a, a tent uh, during events to talk to people. One yeah. of the things that happen here is that uh, there's a lot of older people. Mm. the area and they don't speak english oh. so that's another barrier yeah uh, of people know speaking the language and you know the english and and then you had to bring another uh, source of communication 
for these people to understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's events, there's um, uh, community events, there's uh, meetings that we put together um, uh, that we invited people to kind of uh, help us, you know, kind of like partnership. The the area, it's it's growing on the biking Mm -hmm. because of partnerships that you have. So maybe one is talking about uh, health. Another one is talking about transportation. Another one is talking about public transportation. Another one is talking about bicycles. But you put them all together so people are getting more interested in what's happening around these uh, meetings or events. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you you know, I used to go to parks and talk to people there. It was kind of weird because when you say, hey, hi, how you doing? You know, <laughs> I'm this and that. And, and then, then, like, uh, they just look at you like, who's this guy? Why, yeah. you know? And then sometimes you, you tell them, like, oh, I have a free program, a free thing for you. And then there's, like, where's your hook? You know, what's, uh, what, 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 you know, I don't understand. Nobody gives anything for free. But, um, uh, you know, things for like that. There's, uh, you know, other people that come and basically say, what are you giving away? So they get interested. They, they get into the conversation. Yeah. And, um and then you start, uh, you know, talking to them. They, you, you break the ice and you connect with them. And then you talk about bicycles as, trans, as transportation, not really a bicycles as a as a um, uh, recreational. We talk, you talk about bicycling as a health. You know, if you get on a bike, do you walk? No, I don't. Why? Because uh, you know, I get tired in a couple of blocks. Well, if you get in your bike, you can do four blocks. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. I may buy a bike. And just to give you a number. Um, number we got from Walmart through the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walmart one store sells eleven thousand bikes a month. Wow! Wow, that's a, a lot of bikes. Mm-hmm. A lot of bikes. So where all these bikes go? Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of a lot of them uh, they're giving away through the um, uh, schools through mm-hmm. the ISD. Mm-hmm. They have uh, you know raffles or the police buys purchase bikes. Um, they purchase bikes for the end of the year to give them away for Christmas. Um, you know, the fire department, all these uh, departments, they purchase bicycles. But there's another uh, big amount that goes uh, across the border because on the other side, uh, bicycles are more expensive, twice as much expensive. And the other thing is there's not really a bike shop there. So mm-hmm. they had to come to, to Walmart to get an inexpensive bike to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's, uh, it's very like, it's very unique the way things are happening here. Um, I haven't seen this in you know anywhere that I've been working. I, you know, I live in Miami, I live in DC, Maryland, New York, um, in California, and all these places. Um, they don't have this. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but kind of a charm or something that it makes them different. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they want something, they work hard for, for it. They move quickly to get it done with a lot of partners. And like I said, BioTexas um, had a contract with the city of Randall to help them to move uh, uh, quickly with the funding, with uh, activation, with um, uh, interacting uh, public transportation with biking. You basically, you can bike across the border as soon as you uh, go across the border one block, there is the bus station. Mm. You put your bike on the rack, and you can ride on the bus for 60 miles all the way to the next um, um, the university campus. Wow. So you go to Edinburgh, and then you get uh, get off the bus, take your bike, and then you ride your bike to the campus. Do the same thing back. I haven't heard any other place that do that. 
where you have three different areas of the what's called the UTRGV, University of Texas, mm-hmm. three different areas in three different cities where you can, you know, take a bus, take your bike and go from one campus to another campus. You can go all the way to the beach wow. with your bike and uh, and then ride on the beach. So the, all these things are connecting. Now there's other project that is called the Active Plan. The Active Plan is connecting 10 cities along the Cameron County um, <clears throat> by bicycle. And not just by bicycle, by kayaks, by all modes of transportation. And kind of like a tourism, uh, actually it's a, th- a tourism project where people from other areas can come and then you know take a bus or, or drive or walk or use a kayak or swim or use a bicycle to get around. And then you go to the, c- the cities, each city has their own uh, attraction mm-hmm. and then people come back and it's amazing. We have, um, we, we create events to promote that. We have what is called the Raul Alcala Challenge, Grand Fondo, which Raul Alcala was a Tour de France stage winner and he raised a professional and, and he uh, raced with a lot of well-known racers. Um, he lives in, in, in um, Monterrey, and he does these challenges all around Mexico. And then um, the area, when I uh, work with, uh, with the city of Brandon by Texas, we had to connect three cities, which is Rancho Viejo, Los Fresnos, and Brandon through bicycle. But I thought it was, like, it was too small of a route. So I said, why don't we go all the way to the island and connect maybe uh, nine other cities along the area? So I called Raul and he came and we started organizing this event. With the first event that we had is a 100 miles route and a 66 miles. We connected all the cities and we had people from all over. About 70% of the, the participants were from outside um, Brazil. They were from Mexico, from Cuba, from Washington, DC, from California, all these different places. Mm-hmm. And as uh, you know, a small amount were locally, but they were, we had about 500 people riding and going into the beach, crossing what is called the causeway, which is a two-mile causeway to go to the beach. And that was a, it's an amazing area where when you're on top of the bridge, you could see the airline, you can see the other side. It's beautiful. Wow. So that was the attraction. And now people are like, okay, why don't we have a um, trail or something, kind of like an extra bridge or extra, extra space on the bridge so we can bike because you're not allowed to ride your bike on the causeway if it's not uh, if you're not protected with the police or, or you don't have a, mm-hmm. a permit to do that mm-hmm. uh, you can get arrested so now the island and with this active plan they're thinking about adding a bridge to the existing bridge so people can go across walking or biking and the idea of this had to get the funding for it it was not just tourism part it could be used as, as an evacuation route to bring people outside the island in case of emergency. Mm. So um, uh, they are all pitching some money to uh, get the plan uh, together, and then they had to work together to have their their own trails, their own master plans, um, everything, and then they have to connect all these cities uh, with different routes. Uh, and, and now on the Matamoro side, there is um, the there is the uh, people that are already working uh, with their plans too. So looking at um, the active plan when we had meetings, I'd say, well, why don't we, you know, kind of partner with Matamoros? They already have a plan and well, let's connect them 
both uh, cities through bicycling. And now they're doing it. So they're working together to make it happen. There's a, um, a, um, a post that I uh, posted in, on Facebook uh, not long ago about the work that uh, the two cities are basically doing to connect the two master plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very, very nice uh, article. And it talks about reality. It's basically instead of building walls, let's build, let's connect the cities through bicycling. So it's it's very cool. And, and the the other thing too, it's another attraction that we're doing. Um, just this is right now word of mouth, but uh, we have taken people on both sides of the wall because people wanted to like see where the wall is, and, mm-hmm. and you know they want to take a picture and all that. So I have taken people there. And you can ride on both sides. Uh, when you ride on the riverside, um, you just have to tell the uh, border patrol that you are there with this amount of people and they don't have a problem. Hmm. So when they see you around and they don't think you are, you know, just crossing <laughs> the river or something. So we just uh, communicate with border patrol with, and they allow us to ride the whole area. It's, it's maybe 10, 15 miles that you can ride uh, on the other side of the uh, of the wall wow. before you can turn back like uh, like dirt like dirt trails it's yes it's, yeah it's a, it's a, they have a, a um, access for their cars yeah and it's dirt trails so they have to drive on both sides so there's it's it's clean <laughs> and uh, and then I, I i don't know if you saw my posting on facebook where I, we put all our bikes on on the on the fence yes and I did, they stay I did see up that. yeah and then I said, this is the longest bike ride over in the world. <laughs> it's like a, a Guinness record. Uh, that's what an amazing story, Fernando. I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really, I'm really proud of the work that you're doing there. And it just sounds like an amazing city to be in and, 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 and at a time, right. When, when things are changing, um, you know, there's so much good, good stories happening for bicycling, uh, in a community that I don't think is on many people's minds, right? I mean, until until you told me, or, you know, half an hour ago, uh, about sort of where Brownsville was uh, and sort of you know sort of how it was positioned, I'm not sure that I could have described that uh, my, on my on my own. Uh, I, I do have a question. You know, given your experience working in a, a broad range of communities across the U.S., do you find that there's any either cultural or societal differences to working in Brownsville? Than, than some of the other cities that you mentioned, like Miami or DC or, or Maryland, you know, d- does the does the large percentage of Hispanic and Latino population guide your work in a way that's that's unique to some of the other places that you've worked in the U.S.? Yes, um, one of the things, like say in in um, Miami, mm-hmm. uh, being a Mexican, it was hard to get into the the circles of the Cubans. Interesting. Okay? So so it was hard. But then, as soon as you get in, then you're welcome. And like the Cubans are, they help each other. Okay, mm-hmm. they're they, you. You come in from Cuba, and then you, they help you. They have, you know, a place to stay. They, they give you a job or so. But then, then the, the circle is very close because the everybody knows everybody. So then, for me to get into the circles, I had to work my way in. When I did that, it was by dancing. If you dance, then you have this um, uh, communication, uh, or you know, oh, I don't know, you're Mexican, you dance. Wow, you dance dancing. Salsa. 
that the dancing like salsa at like salsa clubs yes. and salsa that's exactly. fascinating. So, so I had to learn to learn salsa so I can get into it. And then when I learn, say that's weird. You know, a Mexican is supposed. You know, you don't look like a Mexican. Mexican is supposed to be short. You know, chubby with a mustache, and they all sing. I say, no, they, we don't, you know, that's basically on the movies, but no, that's not what happened. I'm a 6'1", that's my height, so people think that I'm not really Mexican. But then uh, working, working in this scene, that's the Salvadorians. So Salvadorians and Mexican, they have a um, kind of like um, a, a shock when they meet. Um, I don't know why or what's happening, but the same thing. I had to work my way in, and then I have very good friends that are Salvadorians. You know, a friend that is like my brother, he's Salvadorian, and and they'll help you. When, when you're into these circles, they help you. When you come into Mexican, um, the good thing on, on Brownsville is that I didn't come looking for the place. Dr. Gowen... Uh, met me in a conference in San Antonio and asked me for help mm. because I was helping Dallas. I took people from Dallas <clears throat> through a grant um, to Seville, Spain. We went to Madrid. I went to uh, Barcelona mm-hmm. and um, they learned about biking okay? and all that. When Dallas didn't believe on, on bicycle lanes and all that, mm-hmm. they came back with a different idea. Now they're connecting forward and Dallas through, through trails. Wow. Okay, so we presented this uh, um, this uh, conference that uh, Bite Texas put together with other partners, and it's um, um, uh, and uh, we presented, and then Dr. Gowan came and said, "We need your help." I said, uh, "So where you come from?" Oh, I'm come from Brownsville. Where is Brownsville? So that's where all this the, the conversation started. So we have a grant uh, for Save Right to School through Bite Texas, uh, and then we came to Brownsville to present our, our projects and to present um, the ideas. So we distributed about maybe 250,000 books and bookmarks, uh, bicycle lights or safety lights in, in the Brownsville area. And, uh, and uh, we kind of came up with educational programs uh, so uh, teachers could teach kids um, how to, you know, about bicycle, bicycle safety education. And um, it worked a little bit. But then we went back to Austin. So I was kind of commuting every time that they had an event. I had to come back or a meeting. I came back. But then um, about three and a half years ago, that's when I moved 100% because we had the, the contract with the city. So I could not be commuting from Austin five hours away yeah. each, each time. Yeah. Like, I couldn't even ride my bike, right? <laughs> so um, we moved to, uh, to Brownsville and we started work. And uh, I think we did a good job um, working with them, but they, they did uh, the, the, the major part, like all the infrastructure, all this, you know, we uh, kind of gave them ideas and kind of help them to make it happen, but they are the ones that did the, the, the major part. They're advocates that they did a lot of work here, you know, with us. Um, they support our work and they support um, the ideas and the projects. Um, and uh, like everybody, like all these bike clubs, uh, they they're all you know all on, on, on their own. Uh, once a month, they meet uh, what we call the Brownsville Collision Ride, and um, all these cyclists they get together to ride together uh, for one once a month. And then every other you know weekend, then they all ride on the on the same actually the same routes and everything, 
but um, but they have their own groups. And, uh, and you see more and more and more. We have what is called the empanada ride. The empanada ride, it's uh, you ride from North uh, Brownsville 15 miles to a baker store. So we buy these empanadas for everybody, and then everybody gets an empanada, we take a picture, and then you don't have to ride 15 miles back to burn the empanada. <laughs> so that's, that's my kind of ride. So that, that sounds delicious. Yeah. I want to do the empanada ride. It's the empanada ride. So the the city cruisers, which is a, a new group that were, that were, we created not long ago, um, invites people all ages, including kids. So we have a, a nine year and eleven year old that ride with us, and we all ride together, and we ride together for two reasons: one, to protect each other. Two, so you don't get lost on, on the ride because it's, it's the, the, you can get lost really easy. But the most important is you want to socialize and you want to make sure that you are, have an awareness. Um, you want to tell the people, the drivers, that we are cyclists and we have kids with us and all the decent women that are riding bicycles. That we're not taking anybody's space. We just need to get to from one point to another in a safe way. And uh, we're asking basically the cars to allowing us to do that. Uh, a lot of these places that we ride, there's no bike lanes because these areas are uh, in the poorest areas of Brownsville. Mm. And uh, we connect. So when we go by these areas, the kids from the houses come out and, you know, give to us. The parents, the, you know, the, the older people, they're waiting to us when we go by. We started with six people. Now we're about 60. So... Wow. Um, and it's growing. So everybody wants an empanada. <laughs> who d- who <laughs> doesn't? Who doesn't, right? Yeah. And uh, and the other thing, too, that City Cruiser are doing is that they get together to help the community. So when there is a family need, uh, like uh, this past event, uh, um, uh, we had uh, three families that they were diagnosed with cancer. So we fundraised through the ride to get these families uh, some money. It was not a lot, but it was some something to help them. Then uh, um, the circus is connected with the runners, and they um, had this event where they purchased over 200 bags of uh, um, things that older people needed, uh, you know, for home, like soaps and um, toilet paper and all that stuff. So they went and gave them to all these people. Uh, they knock on their doors before Christmas. I don't remember if it was before or after Christmas, but um, they knock on their doors to give them a bag of uh, goods for each of them, up to 200 people. And, and things like that. There's uh, somebody that uh, that loses a job or so, then they'll help each other. They they you know pitch in money. They help them uh, to you know keep going and find a job or. Um, there, the, the good thing on this group is it's, it's a, a good, friendly um, cycling club, and all of the cycling clubs here are very friendly. It's just that some are just really focused on riding only, and Circus uh, is, is focusing on the health part of it, the educational part of it, the uh, tourism because we we go to different areas, and um, and then the empanada. You can't have empanada. <laughs> An empanada feels so, like a very good kind of like bringing lots of people together. It's a good tool for that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's like when you go to the to the to the empanada place, the bakery, they all eat their empanada. I, before, it's like you you had to go and purchase your own. 
then we're purchasing for everybody. So now you go and like, where's my empanada, right? Where is one? So they, they go and look for the empanada. <laughs> and while you're eating that empanada, maybe it takes you five minutes. Between those five minutes, you're communicating with somebody else. You're meeting mm-hmm. somebody else. You're interacting with the kids. You're talking about the ride. You're t- and then even the owner, the, the uh, place, the, um, the bakery store, um, they start asking us, uh, how many you came today? Oh, we came, uh, you know, 10 of us. Okay, and the next time, they want more, more, more. And then sometimes we are low because the cold weather or something. And they say, oh, you missed some people today. So they're paying attention of, you know, or they are actually waiting for us to, to show up on a Sunday. And when we purchase empanadas, they're not expensive. They may be about 50 cents each empanada. But then the owner of the place has helped us, giving us a check back to help the families, to help with the, uh, to purchase anything that we needed. So the money goes in, goes back to us somehow. So it's, it's very neat uh, the way this thing works. There's another group that is called 7 at 7. The 7 at 7 is 7 miles at 7 p.m. That's how they started. And basically, this group is about, you know, uh, health. Let's bring people, teachers that are overweight. Let's bring people from a, a friend of a friend that are overweight. Let's bring them to get on a bike. Let's drive seven miles at 7 p.m. So they start a bike shop. They go, come back, and 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 then people that that never rode a bike or it was, you know, 10 years ago, the last time they rode a bike, and they're riding seven miles. They're like, wow, I can do 10. So they jump the next one and they do 10. And now, and this started about uh, three years ago, this, this group. Now this group are riding 35, 50 to 100 miles. So um, they went from 7 at 7, which is not 7 at 7 anymore. Um, the ride starts at 6.30 and then goes for 30-some miles. Um, the name of the, the, the group stay. Uh, and, um, and there are some other, you know, like um, another, uh, we call it bike rangers uh, or kitty Calmas ride where we focus on kids only. Um, we invite them to meet in a place um, and then we take them for maybe a five, 10 mile ride or um, I would say about eight miles. And then um, uh, we'll talk, but we give them a bike safety a clinic before the ride. Um, uh, Boy Scouts that come to us and say, hey, you know, um, could you give us uh, this uh, bike safety education so we can get our patch? Sure, mm-hmm. join us here. So, and we do it on the trails. So we ride the trails, so that way the kids are safer. Do we take them on downtown area? Um, mm-hmm. Believe it or not, a lot of people say in this area they say I don't ride a bike because it's too dangerous. Okay, when we ride with the kids, the cars slow down, mm-hmm. or they they stop, or they move over. They don't want to mess with the kids. Okay, and they're drivers, so it's the same. And sometimes I stop uh, some of the drivers. Say, well, you know, why do you you stop or why do you move over? And they say, oh, because you have kids. And I said, uh, what if if I'm by myself? Will you do the same? And they don't give me a quick answer. <laughs> okay, you just so need to have I'm a, like okay. You just need to have a kid with you at all times, Fernando. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I have my 11 year old with me almost. <laughs> He's like your bodyguard. Exactly. <laughs> and safety. she knows that. <laughs> she knows that. If you look at my Facebook page, the big picture on it, uh, behind is my daughter. So I'm on my bike and my daughter's in the back. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm duly impressed um, by all the work that you're doing. Uh, I, I don't know how 
how Sarah and I get to Brownsville, but I would yeah. I would love to come and I'd I'd love to ha- share an empanada. Um, and I'd love to bike to, to Matamora. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. just well, like I, I really it's really fascinating and just especially kind of in our times to hear about the advocacy that's happening across the border and how, you know, you are kind of, you know, peer cities and sister cities, you know, sharing, sharing a border. It's, it's really beautiful to hear how, you know, bike advocacy and, and your similar kind of challenges and opportunities between those two cities are kind of bringing each other together. Yes. They, you know, the Matamoros have their own rights, which uh, is really good. There's a groups that come right uh, to Brandville. And I asked them, why do you come to Brandon when you can ride there? Oh, because you have the infrastructure that we don't have and which is safe. And they come every, yeah. you know, every other every other weekend or maybe during the week sometimes they come. But, uh, but you know, like I said, Brandon is not all. Um, the, the project with Brandon or contract with Brandon ended uh, last year. I've been already working a full year uh, with uh, Harlingen, which is 22 miles north of Brandon. And that's one of the cities that were connected through the active plan. In between, there's other two cities, which is Rancho Viejo and Los Fresnos, which I work with them too. And uh, Harlingen is moving even a little bit faster than Brazil in terms of the encouragement, in terms of let's let's move forward and do quickly. And, um, in, in, you know, you have to have champions in each, in each city or in each uh, location that you work. Here, um, I always say that uh, Brazil worked the opposite. Normally, um, you have the cyclists, you get um, the advocates, you get them together, they work hard to talk to politicians, and then things start happening when politicians are, are approving the projects or they're funding funding, right? Mm-hmm. In Brownsville, we start working the opposite. We had the willingness from the local government, mm-hmm. from the politicians, from the mayor, from the commissioners, and then they say, okay, we need to form our advocates. We need to form more groups. So we start backwards, and with Bike Texas, then we start, you know, kind of helping, uh, bringing people to be the advocates for these areas, um, kind of getting to know. There, there were sorry advocate groups that were working for for trains and trails only places, which they're already kind of uh, working hard to get this eight mile area where where the railroad tracks got already um, taken away. And there's this uh, empty space that connects to Matamoros, and Matamoros has a plan to connect Brownsville, but Brownsville is doing their work with the county to have this um, area to have a trail only that could be a link it to the other trail and have a kind of like a um, expressway for bikes. Is there any uh, other examples of that across um the border between Mexico where there is are there other cities that have created that sort of bike trail that connects to cities across the border? Um, that I know? No. I, I know my El Paso and Chihuahua, Ciudad Juarez wanted to do something, but uh, Ciudad Juarez, is, it was, they had problems there or so um, in the past. I don't know these days how they're yeah. doing it, but, um, but uh, Belo Paso in, in El Paso is doing uh, great things there. It's, uh, it's all volunteer right now. Um, uh, work, but it's 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 happening. They have their bike share. We have our mm-hmm. bike share too here. Uh, we already have our bike share. So we're, you know, bringing all these uh, things. I don't know if you know, but Brownsville became a bicycle friendly community uh, about a year ago. So it's a Browns, but uh, we made it happen. So yeah. that was, that was basically my my goal. Like, okay, let's make Brownsville bicycle 
bicycle friendly community. Well, it sounds they like you're doing you're doing that very well. <laughs> it's, it's not me. It's basically you know, like I said, it's is the people, the community, are, yeah, the community. They want it. They work for it. And then we have the uh, the support from from the uh, uh, mayor and yeah. commissioners, and Absolutely. then the other staff too. That, that you know, uh, even when we have uh, the commissioners and and uh, mayor support, the staff is the key to make things happen. So every department that is involved in this, you know, I take my hat off on them for them because um, they have uh, been improving the area. It's it's a different lifestyle, and uh, they're doing a great job. So just a quick note is um, when, I, when one of the questions that basically people a lot of people ask me like, so you know how long have you been on a bike? How long have you been working on these things? When I first when I first got on a bike, I didn't like the bike. At all, hmm. I used to do all different sports. Okay, I used to uh, run. I I run half marathons. I ran, um, you know, hundred meters. I play basketball, soccer, baseball. Never thought about bicycling. And one guy, I, I call him my, my Mister Miyagi. His name was Gonzalo. He came <laughs> to me, and when I, when I was working at a convenience store. He say, "Hey, you are tall. You should be on our cycling team." <laughs> and I'm like, "No, Tori, thank you, but no, I don't. You know, I don't like biking. I don't even have a bike." He said, oh, "We'll give you one." He said, "No, no, thank you." Every Saturday, for maybe a couple months, he used to come and invite me to be in the team. And I said, "No, this is you know, I'm not going to do it." And then he said, "Okay, how much money you make here?" I said, "200 pesos." So I give you 400. I said, where is the bike? <laughs> Persistence. So that's how I got into biking. And then he gave me a bike. He said, he loaned me a bike. And he said, okay, um, you know, I'm from Mexico City. So I'm in Mexico City, a block from my home. And uh, this bike shop that he owned. And he said, I, I meet you in Toluca. I said, okay, Toluca is 75 kilometers from here. But where is Toluca? I'll ask and you'll find out where Toluca is. Well, when you start going out of Mexico City, Toluca, it's on the highest city outside Mexico. So you have, it's like going in Colorado. So you start going up, 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 up. So asking people where Toluca is, I finally made it to the top, went downhill really fast. So it took me about three, four hours to get up to the top. And then about 30 minutes to do the same mileage <laughs> that went up, down. So this guy met me in uh, Toluca and he said, get in the truck. I said, sure. So, okay, took my bike, put it in the truck, and I said, what's in it? I thought I had to go back to Mexico on my bike. He said, yeah, you did a good job. Let me tell you what you did good. I told you to go to Toluca. You didn't know where Toluca was, but you find out where Toluca is. You never knew how the road was going to be, you know. You, ne you didn't know that it was going to be uphill all the time. I said, no, I didn't. Well, you never quit. You keep going and always pedal it forward because you pedal backwards there, you don't go anywhere. Right? Yeah, sure. And then you just keep going and going and going and going. And then when you're on the top, what happens? You start going down the hill, right? Yeah. So how long did it took you going up? I said four hours and going down 30 minutes. So that's that's how life is. Life is up and down. If you, it's really hard to get to the top, but when you're on top, you have to stay on top. I keep working to stay there. Because if you do something wrong, then you're gonna go downhill. And it's gonna take you less time to get to the bottom and then it's going to be hard to get back uh, and, uh, you know, on your feet and start pedaling. You pedal forward all the time. You don't pedal backwards. You don't look back. 
just keep going and and you don't want to see anybody's rear tire you want to see your own front tire and that's how life is switch the gears when it's needed and then keep going forward and that made me think the whole thing when he told me this i was 13 years old and the first time that i met this guy i'm like who's this guy why he's telling me all this but now i thank him for that wow. because uh, <clears throat> that is it was very strong and i always remember that part where he said you have to move forward find yeah, a way absolutely. to you know when you find a wall get around you don't go through it you don't want to jump and just go around you or, or you know find somebody that could help you to get on, on the other side of the wall so we have a wall here in, in brownsville and i go around it all the time <laughs> to, yep. to find things and make things happen but thank you to all the people that support um all these projects uh things are happening in brownsville in harlingen in austin and all these places because i work in austin many years too and uh, now we could see the fruits of of, of of the hard work in Austin, the fruits of hard work in Brownsville. And now working in Harlingen, you know, like I said, they're moving really fast. There's a lot of things that are happening there where ne they never thought that they couldn't make it happen. I think we're going to have to save the conversation about Harlingen for another episode, Fernando. <laughs> yeah, no I, I mean, I, mean I, I feel like we could just talk to you for like six hours today, but we all have, we all actually have some, some work that we actually have to get done. <laughs> Um, I've really, I've really enjoyed talking to you. I mean, I've been following you on Facebook for a while. Um, I'm glad we, I'm glad we got a chance to talk. Uh, and I'm going to try to figure out a way for Sarah and I to, to make it yes. down, uh, and eat a bunch of empanadas with you. Sounds good. Uh, we will, we have bikes here, so you don't have to bring a bike. Excellent. Excellent. Perfect. Well, thank you, Fernando. I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks again for taking time. This was terribly enlightening. I mean, I feel like I've discovered a whole new part of U.S. bike culture. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. And, um, you know, hopefully um, you can go into the um, the bike summit. There is a lot of talk about there. Absolutely. It's a, yeah. So so thank you very much. I appreciate um, you talking about me. And, and uh, this is great. I follow you guys all the time and uh, listen to your podcast. This is great. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, have a great day. Bye, okay, you too. Bye-bye. The Bike Nerds Podcast is a joint production of the Bike Nerds, Sarah, and Kyle, and the OAM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit theoamnetwork.com slash thebikenerds. Want to nerd out more? Find us on the web at thebikenerdspodcast.com, on Twitter at thebikenerds, and on Facebook, The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at thebikenerdspodcast at gmail.com. Theoamnetwork.com. Power to the podcast.